0: We're going to continue our studies out of uh, the book of Revelation primarily. I'm going to just a number of different scriptures that I think are very important for our understanding of this uh, 21st chapter of Revelation. There are two extremes in scripture that I have sought to emphasize uh, because the Apostle Paul emphasized them. I have told you numbers of times before that the message from heaven is a horrible message. It is. It uh, it started out very good. But in Genesis chapter 3, it became very bad. Uh, and actually... Uh, Brought into the world so great a death. We can't begin to imagine how great that death is. But all throughout the scriptures, the Lord develops it. And it's so bad that only deity can provide a remedy. It's very important to remember that. Uh, We're all alike. Uh, we're uh, corrupt beyond imagination in our nature, and there's nothing we can do about it. You cannot by works change it. Uh, God does not change, but neither can man in his nature. He cannot change any more than the Ethiopian his skin or the leopard his spots, and so. All throughout the Bible, the emphasis on uh, the remedy excludes man totally. It's not by works. It's by mercy and grace, the two most important words in the Christian vocabulary is mercy and grace. And the gift of God, the gift of God, it has to be, in other words, a remedy, it has to be a gift This speaks to our depravity and how deep the depravity is and and how so great the death is that we actually deserve uh, such that only God could provide the remedy, and he did by going to the cross and dying for us. But the Bible also presents us so great salvation. It's a so great salvation is a, is a, is a future uh, look into what God is able to do uh, that man could never do, um, and that is create us a paradise that's eternal. Paradise, if you look that word up, it just means bliss. Bliss means uh, supremely happy, for all eternity. Nothing can be added to it to make us happier. That's what paradise is. And, of course, paradise is not so much a place uh, or a state of being happy as it is a person. Heaven is not a place as much as it is a person. Wherever Jesus Christ is, that's heaven. I have sought to relate it in the way of uh, uh, truth. There's not a mere academic. Uh, truth is a person. Uh, when the Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, uh, the way is not so much a direction as it is the person of Jesus Christ. We follow him. The focus is him. And he said he is the life. He is the life. Life is not a state of being. It's not just breathing. It's not just living as we naturally think of it. Life is the person of Jesus Christ. Heaven is to be thought of exactly the same way. And so God has prepared for us a place. He has gone to prepare for us a place, a paradise, where we can be supremely happy. Well, what actually happened in the Garden of Eden was, and this was the temptation, uh, you can have paradise without God. You can have paradise the way you want it to be. And so whatever you think would make you happy Uh, You have a mind, and you have a will, and you have a body which is the means of carrying out your will with your hands and your feet, whatever. And you can provide your own paradise. And so the reason the Lord kicked Adam and Eve out of paradise and put the angel there with a flaming sword Uh, to keep them from going back in there was so that the Lord could develop throughout the remainder of the revelation of his word the total inability of man to create his own paradise we're locked into this situation where we do not know what a, a day may bring forth we do not have the capability of achieving an expected end. In Jeremiah chapter uh, 29, I think it is, in verse 11, it says um, um, that the Lord is the only one that can provide us an expected end. If we'll seek... Him and search for him with all our hearts, He can provide for us an expected end. and expect it in. And that is paradise and that is what Revelation 21 is really all about. And so there, there are two extremes that are presented in the Bible, and one of them is the so great a death and the other is so great salvation as the Apostle Paul talked about it in Hebrews chapter 2. I think it's verse 10. So great salvation. Folks, we can't begin to imagine the so great salvation that God has prepared for us. Now, the other thing that we need to re-remember is we have this... uh, natural way of thinking about everything. We're earthly, we're sensual, and we're devilish. That's what the scriptures teach us. And and we cannot transcend this world of time and sense as we see it and as we think about it. And the only way that we can ever really enter into uh, what lies ahead in terms of the future is to go to the only one who knows the future in the whole universe and that is God and this to me is one of the most profound things that we find in scripture as you see in uh, Second Peter uh, chapter 1 uh, God has given us something that's more sure than seeing the Lord transfigured on the cross, uh, on the, uh, uh, the Holy Mount. And it's prophecy, prophecy. For so many years, I never really understood what that meant. And for so many years, through this earthly mind that I have, I always felt like that there's something wrong there because that doesn't make sense to me. I would have a stronger faith in Jesus Christ if I had been with Jesus Christ, to see him with my eyes, to handle him with these hands of the word of life like John and like Peter and James. And if I had seen him transfigured on the Holy Mount, I would have a much stronger faith as compared to living here 2,000 years removed, having never had those experiences. And the Lord is rebuking us for this because there in 2 Peter chapter 1, he tells us through the apostle Peter that we have something more sure than seeing him transfigured On the cross, we have something more sure than having journeyed with him for three and a half years of his earthly ministry. More sure. And the day that I began to study that verse and see what God actually said, it changed everything for me in the study of the Bible. Because all of a sudden I realized that prophecy is more sure than seeing because it's God's ultimate proof that every word of God is true. And I could have complete faith, eternal security, eternal security in what he said in the book because he's the only one in the universe that can tell the future and never be wrong, never. And so what we have in the Bible is, is amazing because it tells us the future, as we've said so many times, with rigid accuracy, rigid Accuracy. There's nothing that can be added to it. There's nothing that can be taken away from it without threatening your eternal soul. It's that settled and that sure. And so when we when we pick up these Bibles, when we take these things home with us, we need to realize what we've got in our hands. We've got something that's more sure than having lived 2,000 years ago and gone with the disciples and experienced everything that they experienced on earth. And we can sit in our home. We can get up early in the morning and sit down and open this book. And we are closer to God than any other person we could ever know. And that includes family members. It includes your very best friend. We know more about Jesus Christ, the creator God, than any other personality in the universe. This is him. This is a revelation of him. It's his own discovery of himself to us so that we might know his innermost self, his very emotions, his burden, the burden of God. We find it right here in this. You do not experience this with any other human that you will ever know. And so the Bible is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a revelation of him as a person. And we must remember these things continually as we study the Bible. Um, And as we study the scriptures, there are certain things that have occurred to me, and I I know that these lessons out of Revelation seem to be somewhat random in thought. Um, I'm presenting it with a lot of different pieces in the hopes that God himself will bring the pieces together to show you the picture that he's actually uh, presenting. And um, so there's a lot of little things that you need to bring together to really understand uh, Revelation chapter 21. And one of the things that we need to realize is that God is not focusing so much on what we focus on, uh, which is the earthly family. Here we are. We're celebrating Christmas. We're celebrating the birth of Christ. And Christmas will be, to a great extent, um, <clears throat> Um, I don't know how to even say it. Uh, Christmas, to to a great extent, is going to mislead people uh, as to what the Bible actually teaches about Christ coming into the world, his birth, his birth. This is Christmas. We're celebrating the birth of Christ But if you study the scriptures closely, you'll find that the focus of scripture is not on Bethlehem. It's in Acts chapter 13 and verse 33. Turn to it, and I'll show you. The focus of God when it comes to Christmas is not Bethlehem. It is not Bethlehem. It's actually Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Acts 13 and verse 33. God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. And then we have it. As it is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Now do you see that? God the Father is looking down at his son and he's not seeing his birth as being at Bethlehem. He's seeing his birth as being His resurrection from the dead. Where did that take place? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Folks, so many people in this world will go through the Christmas season and totally miss this. Totally miss this great truth that God has revealed to us. But I'd like to take you to another passage that's critically important to understand. It's... 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'd like to tie it into what we've just said. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'd like to begin reading at verse 9. Verse 9. But as it is written, eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, prepared means future. The Apostle Paul, in these words, is pointing us toward the future To where? To eternity. That's where he's pointing us. Verse ten. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. Now notice the contrast here. It's very careful, it's very important to read this carefully. God is showing us what we know as compared to what he knows. And he says it's never entered into our mind concerning the future. That he's prepared for us. It's never even entered our mind. It's never even entered our heart concerning the love of God for us. But God hath revealed it Revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now, I've taken you into, and especially last Sunday, some deep things. And I can assure you it's something that never entered my mind. It never entered my heart. But God, by his spirit, has revealed it in his word. And this is where you have to go to and not the tradition of men. I'm telling you that tradition is a plague. It's a plague in the church, especially in denominationalism. The tradition of men, we're talking about things that man understands with his way of thinking but this is a big mistake. We have to go to the only reference point that God has given us to get it right. And that is the things that he has revealed to us, listen, revealed to us by his spirit. Okay, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. These are things that are spiritually discerned. And so when we study the Bible, when we read the Bible, we've got to be very careful to distinguish between what has happened to the church and what has happened to our understanding of God and the glorious future that he's put before us because of tradition. In practically every church in the Southern Pines this morning, there will be difference Differences in the services, differences in the focus, and I'm telling you that very few of them are going to be focusing on what we're talking about right here this morning. There are churches that are going to be talking about Santa Claus. They're going to be talking about all kinds of things, and you'll see Christians walking around with Santa Claus-type hats on. You'll see a lot of people wearing red. Where do they get that? It's not out of the Bible. And Christians are, are so much on the fence between paganism and what the Bible actually teaches. You'll find Christians that are Many of them are saved people that are so caught up in tradition they don't know how to lay it aside and take a stand against Santa Claus, of all things. And Easter egg hunts. These are all distractions from The one to whom all the glory belongs. It's not Santa Claus. It's not St. Nicholas. It's not some tradition of giving so that we can feel good about ourselves. This book is about Christ, it's about Jesus Christ. He's our everything. And He's given us this book. To study. And I'll tell you this, in most churches in America today, there are very few that will study this book. Very few. There are very few people on the face of this planet that will get up every day without fail and study this book. I didn't say read it. I said study. Study it. And that may be true right here at Calvary Memorial Church. Calvary Memorial Church. I don't know. I know that it was true of me for 26 years of my life. I didn't study this book. I was deceived like so many people into thinking that if I was going to ever really understand anything about living and and have a a paradise on earth i had to go to college and get a degree so i could make money so i could be happy by providing myself with all the things i wanted now isn't that our tradition got to go to college got to go to school got to get that diploma Got to get that college degree so you can make money, so you can be happy in this paradise that is dependent upon you having money. And the Lord Jesus addressed it in Matthew chapter 6. When you follow the tradition of men, your God is going to be a dollar bill. It sure is. But he said, forget about that dollar bill. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. I'll take care of it. I'm the one that provides the glory for the lily. I'm the one that feeds the sparrow. And you're worth a whole lot more to me than sparrows, And I'm going to provide it. If you put me first. What does that mean? Putting Jesus Christ first. It means exactly what it says. Put him first. He ought to be the first thing that comes to our mind in the morning. This book ought to be the first book. that we begin to read and study and think about. And then throughout the day, we need to be thinking about it. Thinking about it. Meditating on it. Praying and asking the Lord who who goes with us. He said, "I'll, I'll be with you and I will be in you. And we're supposed to walk around all day long having fellowship with him in the spirit. And asking him to show us what what was the meaning, what was the spiritual meaning of what you said. And so as we read on in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, let's go back to that. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now, I want to comment on this. I sent a something to a, a friend of mine that I was in high school with. Uh, it, it had to do with something that we'd been studying. I don't remember exactly what it was at this point. Uh, but, I, but I sent him this thing that, that had to do with thinking in a, in a way that's different than we typically think. Because I'd learned this point out of scripture. And so I I sent it in an email to this high school friend of mine. And he sent me back a response. And he said uh, something to this effect. I don't like anything complicated. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. I was reminded of something that it says... And uh, Proverbs And here's what it says It's Proverbs chapter one How long ye simple ones will ye love, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and their fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called, and you refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have said at naught all my counseling with none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despise all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them. And the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. What's that, what's that passage? Proverbs, 1. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1. And you start reading at verse 23. Well, excuse me. Uh, start reading at uh, 22, verse 22. Of course, if you read the whole chapter, you get even better but especially verse 22 how long will you use simple ones will you love simplicity and i'm telling you folks the churches today want to keep it so simple that the message of this book never goes beyond uh the crucifixion of christ on the cross And the love of God for us, he loved us so much he died in our place. And they don't want it to go much further than that. That's where they want to stay. Folks, that's a great danger. That is a great danger. God wants us to know the extremes and the depths of this revelation. From so great a death... To so great salvation. He wants to bring us. From so great a death. To enter into so great salvation. And you cannot read. Revelation chapter 21. And enter into this so great salvation. Until you understand. The so great a death we deserve. And the. so great investment that Jesus Christ had to make to deliver us from so great a death. It took everything that he is in his creatorial power, in his deity, in his infinite wisdom and understanding and power to save us from our sin. It took everything that God is to save us. That's how bad it, that's how bad our situation is without him. And so going back to Second, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I want to read verse 11 again. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now, it's that verse right there where meditating on what it's saying helped me to understand what I needed to understand to tell you that we know more about Jesus Christ than any other person in the universe. It's that verse right there. Now think with me. You can't look at somebody, including Jesus Christ, being transfigured on the Holy Mount and know him. How do you get to know a person? You don't get to know a person by looking at them, knowing the color of their hair, how tall they are, things of that sort. How do you get to know a person? You have to ask them. You have to talk to them. You have to get them to reveal to you with what? Words. And when they talk to you and they say, this is my thought on your question." Then you discover something you can never know by any other means than by revelation. It's this verse that taught me that I know God the same way I know anybody else I've ever known. If it's a wife, if it's a child, how do you know your child? How do you know your wife? How do you know your husband? They have to talk to you. They have to reveal themselves to you, or you can't know them. And so, how can we know God? Well, you cannot know God unless he reveals himself to you. That is the significance, listen to me, of inspiration and preservation. God has inspired his innermost self, his words to us so that we can know him. And I'm telling you, this is a very important thought. I hope that you'll think about it often. We know more about Jesus Christ than the person you know best on earth. I've had a lot of parents come to me and say, I know my child, and I know my child would not do this. <laughs> I'll never forget this family. that came in to see me. And prior to their coming to see me, the sheriff's department had been down to see me to tell me that they were in on a drug raid and that we had a student in our school that was a part of that drug raid. And they knew that, that student was in the school. And they knew that they would have a problem going to the family to let them know exactly what the situation was in terms of that drug raid. And they had been encouraged by, I guess, the chief of police at the time to handle it through the school rather than the police department, because they did not want to put the boy in jail. They didn't want to put him in jail. And so the pressure was on me to get the family in to tell them the truth about their child. And the first thing that came out of their mouth was, I know my child. I know my child. And I had to sit there and say, no, you don't. You just think you do. And then I had the responsibility of bringing out the facts. And when I finally told them, I'll get on the phone I'll call the sheriff's department. I'll have a sheriff come down here to explain to you the truth, if that's what it takes. And all of a sudden, a tear began to run down the cheek. Sure enough. How many times... Over the years, have I talked with people who thought they knew their husband, who thought they knew their wife, who thought they knew their child? Let me tell you something. There is no doubt about what you can know concerning Jesus Christ. I'll tell you why. He is the truth, He tells the truth. What He says about Himself is the truth. What he says about you and me is the truth. We're deserving of hell. We're monsters of iniquity. That's what we are. And hell is real and most people are going to die lost. That's what this book teaches. We need to teach our children what the focus of God is and it's uh, resurrection from the dead. And we cannot pull that off by works. No man can raise himself from the, dead, from the dead. There's only one that can do it, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so it goes on to say here in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So this book is is such an amazing thing to have. Now let's go on to something else. I touched on material last Sunday in the title of this message, uh, The New Heaven and Earth. This is the New Habit in Earth Part 2, by the way. Those of you that are recording this, it's going to be Part 2. And, and the thing I want to emphasize this morning is the contrast from God's perspective concerning the cross of Calvary and Pentecost. And I want to teach you some things from God's Word that are not traditionally taught it's not traditionally understood, uh, but it's right here in the book. And the Lord tells us, and one of the reasons I took you to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 was to put an emphasis on this, because you can't go to man, you can't go to churches, you can't go to preachers who do not go to the book to get a correct understanding of this book. You have to go to the book. You have to look to the Spirit of God who spoke to us in the book with His words to know the correct way of thinking about these things. So, this has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with human understanding. Human understanding is of no value. Eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of a man, the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Well, we have no clue concerning salvation. Most people are living in this world believing that the good is going to outweigh the bad, and a loving God would never cast a person like me into hell. That is the way most people that go to church think. They believe that they are basically good, and a loving God would not cast them into hell. And that's not true. There's none good when you read the book There's none righteous. No, not one. Where's that being preached? Where's it being preached that most people who profess to be saved are desperately lost and are following a traditional way of thinking rather than reading what this book actually says? Over and over and over again, The Lord is saying, let no man deceive you. Most people are deceived. Satan deceived Eve. Preachers will deceive you concerning what this book actually teaches. Sure will. And the only way you can really understand this book is you have to go to God And his Holy Spirit has to reveal it to you according to his word. And the Holy Spirit never reveals to you anything that is not in the book. It's going to be in the book. And so the Holy Spirit never operates independent from what is written, ever. If you start listening to some spirit and you can't find it written, don't believe it. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. Any preacher or Bible teacher who ever teaches you anything that is not in the book, if they can't put their finger on it, they don't know what they're talking about. And so, how were the Bereans more noble than those from Thessalonica? Because they searched the scripture to see whether those things were so. They wondered if Paul was a false spirit That the spirit that was in Paul was teaching something that was not true. So how did he get it squared away? They went to the scripture. That's what we've got to do in our studies. Especially when we run across things that we're not accustomed to thinking that way. So what I want to emphasize to you is that the cross of Calvary... And the death of Christ upon the cross does not equip you for heaven. It does not. A lot of people think it does. No, it does not. The cross of Calvary only does this. It pays your sin debt. It pays your sin debt. But it doesn't change you. Even believing it does not change you. Not in and of itself. You can't go to heaven just because God died for you and shed his blood and paid your sin debt. The only way you can go to heaven is be as holy as he is. And the cross of Calvary does not do that. And that is the significance in Pentecost. I'm telling you that the focus of God is on Pentecost. Pentecost. Why? Because that's where God gave his Holy Spirit to be our life. That suits you for heaven. And nothing short of it. You have to be as holy as God, as unblameable as God, as unreprovable as Jesus Christ. And how are you going to be that way? Because Christ died for you on the cross? No. You have to have a new nature. The cross of Calvary does not deal with the nature. It deals with the sin nature. But the sin nature is what we've got to get rid of. It's got to be replaced with something else. What is it? The nature of God. And the only way you can be one with a holy God is to be as holy as he is. And that's the gift of God. That's why it's presented to us as a gift. There's no other way that you can have it than the gift of God. If somebody tells you that what you just heard is not true... They are not, they don't know what they're talking about. That is not what the Bible teaches. And I'm telling you again that the focus of Christmas is not Bethlehem, it's Jerusalem, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which is a picture of our birth into the family of God. And when we're born into the family of God, listen to me. God never thinks about the first birth again, ever. His focus on you for all eternity is your birth from the dead in resurrection life. And he does not remember Anything about the previous life, and never will, and neither will you you will not and this leads us into something I, I want to say this before we completely run out of time. want you turn with me to Revelation chapter nineteen. I want to show you something you may not have ever noticed before, but I want you to notice it today. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the linen is the righteousness of the saints. Now look at verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. I want you to draw a circle in your Bible around linen. And I don't want you to ever forget what you're fixing to hear. Because I, don't, I think it's one of these things you cannot refute. Is there a contrast here in the mind of God for us in linen as compared to uh, sheepskin? Folks, fine linen has nothing to do with death. Sheepskin does. If you want some insight into eternity, one of the things the Lord is talking about here, which eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered in the heart of man the things that God has brought. Listen, there's going to be no remembrance of death at all. In eternity. There's nothing going to be there that's going to remind us of that previous life. Absolutely nothing. And I hope to stay on this subject until you see it in the scriptures. It's there. And I believe in eternity to come. Jesus Christ is not going to have nail scarred hands. We're not going to be talking about the cross of Calvary. He is the one that said that none of this is going to come to mind. I showed you this last week, Jeremiah chapter three, verse sixteen. The coffin, the ark. All this is going to pass away. Heaven and earth is going to pass away. Everything related to this life is going to pass away. Listen to this: in heaven, we're going to be like the angels. Um, have you ever thought about the angels as it relates to those that did not fall? and never sinned as it relates to the cross for Calvary. The Lord said, we're going to be like the angels. Have you ever thought about the fact that God did not die for the angels that never fell? The cross of Calvary has nothing to do with them. The Lord said, we're going to be like the angels. We sure are. He also said that marriage, as we've always thought about it, is going to cease to exist because it was only a type, only a type of marriage to him. We may think we're going to be going in heaven and running around with family as we know it down here on this earth. And I think we will know each other. I don't think there's any question about it. I think our love for one another is going to be perfect. And our knowledge of who people are is going to be perfect. We're going to know who they are. You're going to know who Isaiah was, Jeremiah, the Apostle John, the Apostle Paul. You're going to know them. You're going to know your husband, your wife. But you've got family members right now that are on their way to hell right now you think you're going to be remembering them in eternity to come? ain't going to happen. Do you think that you can rob the Lord of the marriage to him by focusing on some previous marriage on earth? Listen, folks, there's a family of God and there's a family of man. And the family of man as we have ever known it is going to fade away. You may not believe that, but this is how tenaciously we want to hang on to tradition and traditional teaching. I'm telling you, that's a mistake. That is not what this book teaches. Absolutely it is not. Now, I know we're close to one another. We love one another. I love my wife. My wife loves me. I love my children. I love my friends and acquaintances. But I'm telling you, there's only one family that's eternal. And it's those who come to know their heavenly father. That's the eternal family. And you cannot embrace the closing revelation of this book. Chapters 19 through 22. And enter into it when you're trying to hold on to something that's earthly. Can't do it. So our time is gone. We've got to go. Uh, this us, brother, Heavenly Father, thank you. preaching and the singing to it all of your glory.